Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I am your host, Amber Hurdle, and we are going to seriously rock some amazing sales advice today. So hang on for that coming at you in just a few moments. But of course, first, we always have to do announcements and all that good jazz, but we like to do it quickly and get right to the meat of things. As you know, this podcast is wrapping up. So go to amberhurdle.com forward slash podcast with an S and look for the Bombshell Business Podcast. Click on that, find this episode, and you will have all the goods right there at your fingertips or you can download the bombshell business app with amber hurdle and we will send you a push notification letting you know that this episode is live and the show notes will be handy dandy right there in your phone so those are your two options of course while you're at amberhurdle.com forward slash with an s there's also a little opt-in opportunity for you to learn more about the velvet machete branding podcast where we're going to talk about personal branding employer branding and business branding and if you're listening to this and that has already happened then you will just have access to all the episodes when you go there so we're very excited about the transition to come i hope you will follow us over And I hope that you will also, speaking of following and Velvet Machete, I hope that you will follow me on Instagram. It's The Velvet Machete. That is my new handle, The Velvet Machete. We're doing some cool things there, hopefully. We seem like we're getting some good traction. And I know I should have been there a long time ago, really being concentrated on that because I know you guys hang out there. I know you send me direct messages and all that good jazz. But, you know, sometimes I'm a slow learner. (laughs) Anyways, we're there now. Leave me a note, a direct message. Actually, you know what? Leave me a comment in one of the pictures because then I'll definitely see it. Sometimes when it goes to direct message, if I'm not following you back, there's like drama there. I know what you know what I'm talking about. So leave me a comment on one of the pictures and we could chat it up. I would love that. So let's dive into today's episode. You are really going to love my guest. And I know I say that every time because I'm super protective of you all and who I put in front of you. But this gal just, she gets it. Sales Maven founder, Nikki Roche is an award-winning sales executive with 23 plus years of sales experience selling to organizations such as Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Johnson & Johnson, Hewlett-Packard, Seattle Public Schools, and NASA. You know, just a few big names. By combining her sales experience with her master's certification in neuro-linguistic programming, Nikki teaches simple yet powerful techniques anyone can use. Entrepreneurs hire Nikki to learn how to sell in an authentic way without being pushy so they can build relationships and close more deals. Nikki holds a BA in business administration from the University of Washington. She has been honored several times as top producing salesperson and 
Outstanding Business Partner. Nikki was also featured on the cover of Female Entrepreneur Magazine in 2002. And I can say we had a a long dialogue, probably more pre-chatter than I typically have, but she's just so easy to talk to. So I can see why she's so great at sales. And I think we believe a lot of the same things. And I think she's going to take that ick out of the whole sales process for you. So buckle up, bombshell, and let's get ready for this awesome interview with Nikki Roche. Okay, Nikki, let's dig right in. Let's get into the dirty details is selling dirty of the selling (laughs) staircase, mastering the art of relationship selling. First of all, congratulations on your book. Wild applause. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm excited for you. I think all of our bombshells who journeyed through my book (laughs) being written and launched or the first book being written and launched, we're on the second one. They know how much this means and the fact that you put this out there so everybody can get in their hot little hands. And even if they don't have access to you is is compelling and amazing. So the the title alone begs explanation because I'm seeing some symbolism here. I'm a visual person. So when I see the selling staircase, I immediately want to know what does that mean? Well, it's this idea that oftentimes when people talk about sales, they talk about filling a sales funnel, which totally makes sense, you know, but sales funnel filling oftentimes is a lot of marketing type activity. And what the missing piece for me oftentimes in the selling process and why I do what I do is that people get leads in the door, but then they're not really sure when they're on the phone or they're (laughs) face to face with somebody like, well, what am I supposed to say and do now? And so I created this five step framework. And what I talk about the selling staircase is that it's your job to move your client from step to step to step. And so that's what the five steps are, hence the selling staircase. And I really do focus on on the relationship and the conversation side of sales. So it isn't about making, you know, a certain number of calls or reaching out to a certain number of people. It really is that conversation that I find that's what oftentimes keeps people stuck in their, in the business and in the selling process is because they're just not sure what to say or how to say it. And so hence the five steps, the selling staircase. So you mentioned the relationship side and I have to admit, Nikki, I am a terrible negotiator, like the worst. Like I just don't do it. And so I'm like, here I am. This is what I cost. You don't want it? Great. We're not a fit. Okay. It is very nice to meet you. And your dog is adorable. I don't like have any ill will towards you, but it's just how it is. And if I don't want to pay you what you offer, then obviously we're mismatched on values or whatever. And I'm fine with that too. So that being said, my go-to is always relationship. Like I'm friends with everybody. (laughs) So if we're friends and I can solve your problem, all the better. And so what does that really mean though? Because that took me a long time to understand that was my style. Well, the foundation of everything I teach is built on rapport. And so I, I truly believe if you do not have a relationship with somebody, you are not going to earn their business. And I'm about long-term client relationships. And the only way that happens is through true connection and relationship. And then the other, like, I love what you said, like, this is my price, take me or leave me, like, I'm fine. I also have that same attitude. I don't believe in chasing people for their business. And I still will build rapport with people. 
And oftentimes just by even showing up from that perspective of like, this is me, this is who I am. I want to attract my ideal clients. And I also want to repel the people Amen. That, that don't believe in what I do or don't need what I do because, and I'm not talking about the people when I say this, but to me, that's, those are time suckers. Yeah. Those are people will just like people and activities and efforts and time that you spend thinking about the conversation. Like that just sucks time. And the one thing that none of us can ever make more of is time. Right. Uh-huh. So yes. we want to get to those, like sometimes it's like get, getting those people out of the way. I call them like clear the field, clear the field of the time suckers so that you can really build lasting long-term relationships with the people who believe in you and who need what you have to offer and who are going to cherish what you're going to bring to them. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, you know, when you're doing your best work. Allie Brown calls it your iconic work, like not your zone of genius, like your iconic work. When you're with those people that where you get to stay in your lane and operate at your highest level of greatness, and they are so tickle pink to pay you because you're helping them solve their problems, whether that's through a widget or whatever gift you have that you offer as a service, that's a magical vortex that makes you feel like you're never working. And I like to live in that space. I don't know about you, Nikki. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, really, before I started this business, somebody actually had suggested that I do this. And I was like, that seems like the dumbest thing in the world because who would ever pay me to talk about sales? Because I actually love the conversation piece of sales. I love it so much that I just do it all the time. And that's just how I show up in the world. So I would still be doing this even if people didn't pay me. I love that people will pay me. And as a matter of fact, I always find the more the more I charge, the more my clients implement and the better their results go. Yep. So I'm all for like charging your worth and, you know, all of those pieces too. But I really don't feel like this is a job. Right. It's, it's the easiest job I've ever had because I enjoy it so much. And then you take it for granted. Like my husband sells land. And he is just so giddy about maps and topos and, you know, whatever it is that he does in his world. And he does not at all get how I do what I do all day. And I couldn't stand to do what he does all day long. And but we're both skipping around life like, you know. Woohoo! <laughs> somebody's paying me for this. And yeah. so starting there, I think just that confidence of this is my wheelhouse. I know, you know, that's, that's kind of one of those mindset things, but let's just pretend that I don't have confidence. Let's just pretend that I am, I'm new to what it is that I do. I don't really, maybe not new to offering what it is that I do. And so now I'm trying to sell it, whether I work for somebody or I'm working for myself you have five steps and Mm -hmm. I'm going out and I have this person, maybe I got a referral. Maybe I just lucked out. One of my Facebook posts inspired somebody. And so I grab this prospect by the hand and I take them on the first step. What is that? So the first step is the introduction piece. Now the introduction could be that you're just meeting somebody for the first time. And so you want to set yourself up to make a powerful first impression. Mm -hmm. And it can also mean that you're introducing the concept of you guys potentially 
is there an opportunity for us to work together? Because there are people in like for your listeners, there are people in your network right now who could benefit from what you offer. And because this conversation has never come around in this way for them, they've never been introduced to the concept of what like what's possible for them with what you do. So you need to be able to set yourself up for a strong first impression in the introduction piece and be willing to talk about what you do. Yeah. And, and so do you give hints about how to do that? I do. I knew you would. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's right here in her beautiful book that I'm staring at right now. So, and, and let me just, I'm very tempted to like want to dig into every little dirty detail, but it's an easy read y'all. So we're going to hit the high points. And then I want you to dig deeper by, by buying the book because it's a fantastic book and B because you're going to be helping a fellow bombshell by purchasing it and helping her to reach even more people. So, okay. So we've done the introduction piece and you've introduced either your, your business, yourself, the possibility for working together, the idea, whatever that looks like let's go up each step of this staircase. What's the next step? So the next step is creating curiosity. And this is probably one of the most missed steps because it's, it really is about testing the waters. It's almost like dipping your toe in the water to see, am I talking to somebody who has a need or a potential, like, can I spark some interest enough for them to want to ask questions and find out more? So one of the, I don't know, you tell me if I can dig a little deeper into this particular step. Yeah. I want to know about all this calling. Okay. Okay. The calling. <laughs> okay. So when I talk about creating curiosity, I say it's the difference between how you call a dog and how you call a cat. And I know that sounds crazy talk, but bear with me for just a second. And so think about if you're a dog lover and I don't know, Amber, are you a dog lover or a cat um, lover? Like I, my dog has his own Instagram account, Nash, Nashville Gibbs. <laughs> Like you can look at my stories from today and my dog and Abby, who's my marketing assistant, her dog, Willie was here and they were running around. It's all over our social media. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we know you're a dog lover. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to get your dog's attention, you kind of just, you can do this thing where you can be like, come here. Or come here, girl, like whatever, right? And dogs love that kind of energy because it's like, oh, mom's going to do something fun. I want to come play with her, right? Mm -hmm. But you cannot show up in conversations with this dog calling energy. And we have all been at events or met people that have this like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to tell you about what I'm doing and my new thing. And you're like, oh, that feels overwhelming and too much. And we kind of back away from those people. So when you want to get a cat's attention, you can hear, like you've heard people do this before where you go, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty, right? And a cat has this kind of response to that where they like might look at you, maybe they'll lean in, maybe they'll come, but they're going to like, at least you're going to pique their interest enough for them to give you their attention. So when you show up in these conversations, you want to have what I call here, kitty, kitty responses. So if somebody were to come up and be like, Hey, you know, Amber, how are you? 
Like right now, one of the things you could say is like, you could say fine or great or live in the dream, but that doesn't actually open the door to talk about your business and who you are. So for instance, right now you might talk about like, oh, we're in this transition phase and we're launching this new, you know, exciting podcast. And that's kind of all you have to say for somebody to be like, well, what's that mean? What's the podcast? Like, tell me more. Well, now you have an opportunity to actually talk about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So it's, it's like maybe also kind of like dating rules, right? <laughs> don't, don't tell everything on the front end. They're not ready for marriage yet. Okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> don't show so them your Pinterest board of your dream wedding. Just <laughs> make them ask some questions about you. <laughs> yes. All we're trying to do is pique some interest so that we can start to have some conversation. So your response, by the way, to these types of questions, your here kitty kitty responses should really only be one to maybe three sentences at the most, like anything more than that. And you are word vomiting on people, which is also dog calling energy. So knock it off. People do not respond to that. They don't want it. It should feel like conversation, but, and it's not that you have to tease things out, but you do want to create a little bit, like there needs to be an opportunity for them to ask you a question based on your response. Yeah. I love that. I often tell my branding clients, you don't want to be known as a golden retriever. You do not want to be the one that anytime somebody asks you to to just come that you come, that that you sit and you're going to sit and you're just so happy to please all the time because then you lose control of what it is that you do. And it's not that you want to be indifferent. It's your process is why they are paying you. And whether that is a product or a service, I work with a lot of service-based people but don't jump every time somebody says jump. And I think, you know, a lot of people in this, especially in networking, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you're like, Hey, what do you do? Oh my gosh. And I help people, blah, 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 blah. And here's the 38 ways I can do it. And, uh, and you just want to hit yourself over the head. So you, you can go to the hospital and get out of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. You never want people walking away going like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I asked. Yeah. Right? Like we, we want them going like, Oh, tell me more. Like, what does that mean? Or that's so interesting when, you know, when is that happening? Or how can I find out more about that? Because that then usually leads to, and this is kind of not the next step in the process, but it's like the step in between. It's like the, it's like the, you're just lifting your foot. Cause what happens next is oftentimes once you've created some curiosity, if there is a possibility that they see something in you that might be interesting to them, they'll often start giving you buying signals. And buying signals are verbal and nonverbal cues that people give that indicate interest. And so it doesn't always mean, oh, I got a buying signal. So now I should just ask this person to pay me money. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it means, oh, we can we can move to the next step in the process, which is the discovery. Okay. I love your very first piece and the discovery process to me is absolutely critical as someone who works with big brands, fast pace, ever changing the way that you framed that. I think this is an often missed step or pre partial step maybe because it's part of step three, but the very, very uh, initial effort. So can you dig into that after you talk about discovery? 
I love pre-framing and it is a part of the discovery. So a pre-frame is the opportunity to set the stage of what's going to happen. And it's really important that you get permission in that discovery up front because what it does is it creates safety for the other person in the conversation. So when you pre-frame for somebody, like an example of a pre-frame would be like, you know, Amber, thank you so much for scheduling this time for us to chat. I have a schedule to talk for about 30 minutes and the purpose of our meeting is to do X, Y, and Z. Does that still work for you? Like that's me checking in because I don't want you worried. Like, is Nikki going to talk to me for 45 minutes, but I have a call in a half an hour. Right. So we want to establish that. And then also it does establish you as being the credible party in the, like you're credible. You're showing up from this place of being professional. You're honoring you're, you're like, you're honoring what's going on in the conversation. And then the other kind of piece of the pre-frame is to ask permission to dive into questions. And so one of the ways that you would say that is, you know, in order to make this, this meeting meaningful and productive for you, is it okay if I start with a couple quick questions? And what that does is it sets the tone. Everybody knows what's going on. It's like having a contract. You know, it's we everybody's on the same page of what's about to go down. And now we don't have to play games. And that's why it's important to me, because I don't play games. It's it's black or it's white. And you, you know, I I respect your time. And I know I'm not the only option. And if we're going to have a conversation, let's let's have both of us have a productive conversation where we both hang up or we both leave each other feeling like that was worthy of my time. And it, and, it, and it can be data too. like, tell me, no, that's fine. But now you have the data to go back and be like, Amber's not the solution. We're still on the hunt for something. And she's not the solution because of this. And now I know I need this in somebody else. I'm good with that too. Yes. I really want, like if somebody gets on a call with me and they have some completely different agenda, like let's get that out of the way right (laughs) off the bat because I don't want to spend, again, that's a time sucker, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is something that will be a waste of your time and a waste of their time. And you've alluded to this a couple times already. So I'm just going to comment on what I'm going to call is the obvious that Amber's alluded to, which is in a sales relationship, there should always be a balance of power. So not one person in the relationship should should hold all of the power. So in order for somebody to want to pay you money, they need to see you as credible. But you can't like have something hanging over their head or make them feel less than. But on the flip side, people are not going to pay you money if you give them all the power because then they're like, well, you're not even credible. Right. Why should I trust you? if you can't even maintain control of your side of this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the thing is, is there's so many other choices, right? Like yeah. there's a million other people who talk about sales and you can go and find other people who train on sales. Like I'm, I want to make sure that the people who come to work with me and who, who want to be in my community, that they are interested in what I do and that they also understand like, hey, I do know what I'm talking about. There's no doubt in my mind that the stuff that I teach makes people money and I will always show up from that place of credibility. Yeah. But there's also, you know, the the schmarmy salespeople are the ones that don't care about their customers. They just care about getting paid. And so when you come from a genuine place of authenticity, which is what you teach, 
you're wanting to help them solve their problem because you believe that you can. And if, if you don't believe that you can, then I don't understand why you're in business because anybody who's read the bombshell businesswoman knows my definition of business is I solve your problem. You give me money. That's business. Yeah. I love that. Yes. <laughs> no fancy schmancy versions here. This is where you yeah. keep it simple. <laughs> well, and it should be simple, right? Like sales, sales should be simple. And it isn't about manipulating somebody to do something that you want them to do. It's about going through the process, understanding what's their need, what's their problem, what's their desire. Do you have a solution for them? If yes, great. Lay it out in a really comprehensive way that makes it easy for them to say yes. And then exchange money for service or product. That's yep. That really is sales broken in to the most like basic level. It isn't about manipulating. And so sometimes when I hear people say like, oh, you know, people come off as salesy, it could be that they really don't care. Like that's, that's part of it. But oftentimes I find that people who come off as salesy is because they're trying to sell like somebody else, somebody Uh somewhere told them you're supposed to say this and do this Uh and be aggressive, but that doesn't fit your personality, right? Like most of, especially women, we want to collaborate. We want to, we want to have relationships. We care about the people that we're working with. And so and not that men don't, because they do too. I don't mean to imply that. But there is this piece of, and this is why I teach this five-step process is because it allows for your own personality to show up for you to be your authentic self and just do the sales process better. Yeah. And now I, did I read that you're introverted? I am an introvert. Yes. Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, my bombshell boys, who are introverts, you too can sell. It has nothing to do about whether you restore your energy by being around people or you restore your energy by being alone. It's about being yourself and showing up and selling the way that is natural to you. And so using this framework, fitting in that personality in there. So let me just recap because we've kind of gone not down rabbit holes, very related, but I just wanted for those who are listening and driving or snuggling with their kids or cooking or working or whatever it is that you're doing right now. So we have the step one is introduction. Step two, we create curiosity. And remember, we want to hear kitty kitty. We don't want to be like a excitable dog. <laughs> now we're in discovery and, and we've talked about framing and setting the stage. What else do we need to know about discovery before we go on to the next step? One of the most important things in the discovery, and often this is a a mistake that people make, is that we ask questions that we will need the answers to once the person hires us. And that's not what the discovery is for. It's for asking questions that lead people to hiring you. So oftentimes when I dig into people's discovery questions, I'm like, do you need to know this? And they're like, yes, because once we start working together, I'm like, then that's a question that goes in your intake form, or that's a question that comes after the person has paid you money. That is not a question because you're wasting that valuable time in the discovery. All questions should lead to hiring you. So only ask questions about things that you do, that your clients need help with, and that are relevant to leading them down that path to hiring you. Do not be asking like the nitty gritty questions that once they hire you, you need the answers to. Yeah. Because then you're overwhelming them and 
creating bigger problems than you actually need to be creating. You know, I think the, one of the key things that I was taught along the way, and I'm no expert salesperson, but I do feel like it's pretty comfortable, is don't try to boil the ocean. Don't try to solve every problem that they have. Just figure out the one problem that they're willing to pay you to help solve. And there's usually one giant gnarly problem that has made them say, okay, I'm going to come off some cash if somebody can make this go away. Well, and so that kind of leads to another thing that sometimes people think, sometimes people think a discovery call is a coaching call. It is not. (laughs) But people teach that. Coaching I know, I know. It makes me, it makes my heart hurt because (laughs) I I always say when you coach on your discovery or consultation calls, what happens oftentimes is you know that you know so much, right? Like you show up as an expert, like look at you, Amber, you have years of experience. You've got this, you know, amazing business that you've built. But for people who are coming and maybe finding you for the first time and having a conversation with you and you share what you know is like this tiny little nugget of information. I always call it like one grain of sand. And you know, behind you is this beautiful beach that has all the answers that's going to solve this, this one big problem for them. But you give them that little piece of sand and they think that is the beach. And therefore, they don't think they need to hire you anymore because you just blew their mind with this tiny little piece of sand. (laughs) And then they miss out on all that is possible for them as a result of hiring you, like all the things that are going to improve in their life because they, they realize like, Oh, Amber's got a whole beach behind her and I want to be on that beach. Yeah. I love it. That's such a great, such a great way of looking at it that that'll be in the back of my mind for the rest of my life. Thank you, Nikki, for that. <laughs> because you also it's it's very easy to fire hose like, let me tell you everything that I can do to help you. But I guess that's, <laughs> you know, breaking away from here, kitty kitty and like, come here, Fido. Okay, so we've we've done the discovery. And now we have an idea of what the actual needs are in order to close the sale. What's the next st- uh, step on the staircase? So the fourth step is the proposal. And this is where you clearly lay out an offer. And what what I always like, what I really want to get across to people as often as possible is it is always your job in the proposal piece to take the lead and recommend what you know the client needs, not what you think the client can afford. And there mm. is a difference. Yeah. Okay. Can we dig a little deeper there? Yeah. I feel all the money blocks coming out to haunt everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we make these, I mean, in, in sales, like the two worst things that we can do, and they're the two of the common things that we do is that we project our limiting beliefs onto the person we're in conversation with. And then we hallucinate that we can read their mind, right? (laughs) Like, I'm so sure that I know exactly what this person is willing to spend. And unless the person has like come right out and said, this is what I'm willing to invest or here's what I have saved for this or here's, you know, whatever that conversation is, you really don't know what somebody can afford. And it's not your job. It is not your job to determine that. It's their job. You're selling to adults. They will say yay or nay. 
And it's your job to recommend what you know they need. So that also goes on the other side too. If you have a $100,000 offer and based on the conversation and through, through a good discovery, a discovery call, you've realized that really they're better fit for your $10,000 offer you're doing them a disservice by recommending a hundred thousand dollar offer. Right. You right. recommend what they need. Right. I love that. Again, I just have to give another shout out to my very first mentor, Johnny Keel, who's no longer with us at lost him to colon cancer several years ago. I always joke that Johnny taught me everything I ever needed to know about sales and business. And he told me one time, like Amber, you were a teen mom and you're not used to having money. But here are two things you need to know. One, just because you can't afford it doesn't mean the person you're selling to can't afford it. So stop projecting. He didn't mm-hmm. use those words, but same thing. And the other thing he said, and this is so very Southern, is don't judge a man on his truck because he's probably filthy rich. We are in the second wealthiest county in the state of Tennessee, and we still are. But a lot of these men are sentimentally driving their granddaddy's truck, their granddaddy's farm truck. So don't, don't evaluate people on what you see. Let them tell you what they can and can't afford. So little, little additions there from Johnny Keel. Oh, I had a really amazing mentor too. So I love that you are bringing him into this conversation. Yeah, he's, I'm still fortunate enough to be able to have a relationship um, with his wife who continues to pour into me. Love, love me some Peggy. Okay. So we're, we're doing the proposal. We are giving them exactly what they need, not what we think they can afford, whether that's on the high end or the low end. Any other tips on proposal that just has to be said on this podcast episode? Yes. Okay. <laughs> if you have, if you are, for whatever reason, proposing more than one option, it is super important that you that you propose top-down selling. That means give your most expensive of their, that fits their needs, give that first and then work your way down. Do not start at the bottom because when you start at the least expensive, now it sounds like you're trying to upsell them into something else. Mm-hmm. But when you start at the top and you work your way down, we as humans don't like to have things taken away from us. Right. And so it makes it easier for them to choose the best option for them, not the least expensive option for them. So I think you address this in the book, but there's a lot of sales advice out there that says give three options and the middle one is the one that you want them to pick. What say you on that? <laughs> There's a lot of advice around that. I have not found that to be true and and I've been selling for 25 years. So I find that when I lay out an option for my clients and I test this all the time, by the way, because I love to play with my work and I love to test. I really do walk my talk. I do everything that's in that book and the stuff that I talk about, I do in live conversations. As a matter of fact, most of my clients, when they hire me, they're like, oh my gosh, I remember you saying exactly this to me (laughs) in our discovery call. You know, like I do the same stuff. So I... It has been my experience that people will usually pick the first option because they don't like to have things taken away. Now, it could be the way that you're laying it out that you are you're pushing them towards a third or that middle option. I don't know, but it has not been my experience that that's true. I agree with you. But obviously, anybody who's listened to me for some time knows that I'm just very 
here's what it is. And so if there is an opportunity to have options because they expressed wanting to consider a couple different ways of attacking the problem, then I'm happy to give both of my best offers. But I just don't leave a lot of room for negotiation. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong because I'm, again, I'm not the sales expert, but I'm kind of like you. I'm offended and turned off when I say no to something and then somebody comes back and like, well, I can actually do it for this. It's like, well, then why didn't, I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> like, I just don't want to <laughs> deal with you now. So no, it's a hard no. It's a hard left on red. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I agree. When it starts to feel like, well, now you're just doing anything to, to get me to say yes, that doesn't feel good. And you're devaluing, you're starting yeah. to devalue what you're going to deliver. And I don't know if you found this to be true in your business. I, I already said this, like really the higher my prices go, the more my clients implement and the better results they get. I'm giving the same advice that I was giving when I was charging half of what I charge now. And I don't think I'm expensive, but I'm not the cheapest, you know, coach to hire either. And my clients get results and my clients have enough skin in the game that they are going to implement what we I was going to use that same phrase. When somebody has skin in the game, it hurts them to not take action because they're like, mm -hmm. I just spent this. There's a whole strategy around gym memberships where if you keep the price point at a certain amount and you don't go too high, people don't miss it. So you're basically, they can never come, but they're not going to cancel their membership because it's only $59 a month. But if you go too high and it's painful and they're not using it, they're going to cancel on you and you're not getting the money anyways. And so that's kind of how I, and of course, I, Johnny Keel, he, he and Peggy owned a, a gym. So I learned all this stuff in a fitness center. I think that if somebody feels the pain, they're going to take action. And so, especially you women and men out there who are offering services, hear us when we say you have to charge, you have expenses. It is not that you don't have inventory or things to make the widget. You are still using your time. You still need a website. You still need a social media management tool. You probably need an assistant. There are all kinds of expenses that come into this business and you deserve to be fairly compensated. So it's okay to expect that person to have enough skin in the game to turn around and say, I'm going to do what Amber, or I'm going to do what Nikki, or I'm going to do fill in the blank bombshell, whatever your name is. I'm going to do what they told me to do because this is costing me. And if I don't, yeah. I'm wasting money. Okay. Yeah. Off my soapbox now. Yeah. Plus it's, <laughs> it's super dissatisfying in a, like as a business owner to work with people who don't implement, because then you start to question the value of what you're offering, mm -hmm. which then makes you question your pricing. And then now you're in the rabbit hole. Was right? it me? Yeah. Did I not do something? Should, could I have possibly done something different? And it's not, it's just that they didn't take you seriously. I mean, how, let's, let's be real, everybody. How many $99 courses or $49 courses have you purchased on the internet and never even logged into because you forgot that you bought it? I'm yeah. just going to drop the mic right there. Okay. So we have, and I know we're going over, but I think this is just super valuable information and I don't want to cut it short for the sake of cutting it short. So you might have to hit pause after you get off the treadmill and listen to the rest later on your way home from work. So are we at the last step yet? We are. We're at step yeah. five. Yeah. 
So tell me all about it. So step five is the close. And this is the point where you've laid, you've clearly laid out the proposal and now you have to issue close language. You have to get the words out of your mouth. One of the ways that I might use some close language is I would say, you know, based on everything we've talked about, my recommendation is for us to work together in a private VIP session. Is that something you'd be interested in? That's me going in for the close. That's me saying like, do you want to work with me? Do you want to hire me? Yes or no. And you have to issue that closed language. And there's other ways to say it based on what your offer is. But if you don't say the closed language, you miss out on things that are going to happen because when you issue that close, that is when they either are going to make a decision. Yes or no. They're going to maybe think about it, which I have some like follow up for that, or they're going to raise an objection. And we need that closed language to find out, are they ready? Yes. Is this a hard no? Fine, move on, like go focus on somebody else. Or do they have a real objection that if I don't answer that objection, I'm never going to be able to earn their business? Yeah. And I say the only thing worse than a no is a slow no. (laughs) Because now you're taking my time and I'm not making money. (laughs) Because I'm on the follow-up train of going to nowhere. So how, let's just say somebody gives you a wishy-washy answer. How do you handle that? One of the answers can often be like, oh, well, I need to think about it. Uh And so one of the mistakes that people make is like, great. Yeah. Let me know. I'll, I'll follow up with you next week. Nope. Mm -mm, Nope. If somebody says to me, Nikki, I want to think about it. I always say, great. But how much time do you think you'll need? Let's go ahead and schedule a circle back call now. That way I can answer any additional questions and we can decide at that point, we're either working together or we're not. And, And sometimes it just takes, especially in the South, people have a hard time saying no, or they feel like they're going to make you feel bad if they (laughs) say no, or they're going to hurt your feelings if they say no. And so they give you like the, let's go on a temporary trial breakup. You know, like, what does that even mean? You know, just yes or no, we're together or we're not. Come on. And so I love your approach of fantastic. When can we meet again? So I can answer any questions. And we can decide if we're working together or not. And your confidence in that is going to give them the confidence to say yes or to say no, to go or get off the pot. Love it. Well, and you're you're also by doing that, by getting a time scheduled on their calendar to chat with you again, you're actually putting yourself higher on their to-do list, which is make a decision and actually think about it. Uh Because sometimes if we walk away and we'll be like, I'll let you know. Well, you never even take the time to think about it. Therefore, you never make a decision. Therefore, your, you know, your, your problem, your need, your want never gets solved. And it still sits out there. I mean, we all have those years and years later they're like, I was going to do that at some point, but nobody ever like made it easy for me to do. Therefore, mm-hmm. I didn't do it. And your job in the selling process, this is why I teach the staircase, is to make it really easy for people to move to the next step. And it's your job to move the client. And the way yeah. you move them is by always scheduling that next step, right? So if somebody says to me, you know, if I offer the circle back call and they're like, no, I'll just, I'll call you next week then in the nicest way possible, I consider that bless and release. And Mm -hmm. now it's up to them to call me. Like I'm not chasing. 
clients. Yeah, I hate chasing as well. But then on, on the flip side, let me just add this perspective. I know when it's a real, I have, you know, hurdles to, no pun intended, hurdles to, to jump. Because of my corporate experience, I love the people who tried to sell to me and then kept coming back to be on the top of my inbox because it wasn't that I didn't want to do business with them. It's that I had all these other burning priorities, a gajillion things going on. I was already working 70 hours a week. And then now I have to like navigate this contract through all kinds of bureaucracy. Like that does not sound like the thing I'm going to put at the top of my to-do list every day. And so what I knew about the people who followed up with me was that they were going to be proactive as a vendor for me. And so I try to do the delicate dance of, I want my answer yes or no. However, I also respect the environment that some of my clients are in. I have a long sales cycle, Nikki. It can be frustrating, (laughs) but I also respect what they're having to do to even just get me in the door. Yes. And I come from the corporate sales background. So I, I totally get this long sales cycle. And my kind of rule of thumb around this is if somebody is willing to stay engaged with me, I, I will stay engaged with them too. And I will spend two years earning somebody's business. No doubt about it. What I won't do is chase somebody who says, I'll Maybe. get back to you. And then they don't. Right. Or doesn't ever engage or respond. Those are the people that I... Like my analogy around chasing clients is I think if you chase clients, they turn into toddlers. And if you say to a toddler, like, I'm going to chase you, like the toddler doesn't even know what the game is and they take off running. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love that. You have like the, the way that you paint the imagery that you offer makes selling, which is so scary to some people. It makes it very tangible. I, maybe that's what And I even told you, like, the book's so pretty. It makes me want to read it. And it's simple. It's simple word marks. But imagery, I think, is maybe it's my love language. I don't know. (laughs) But I need that. And those triggers to help you remember when somebody's feeling awkward and maybe a little out of place in a sales conversation, they can have these go-tos. So I very much appreciate that. Speaking of awkward, in Chapter 7, I believe, in the Building Rapport section, you have some tidbits on handling awkward encounters. It happens, y'all. It's it's fine. And it's not always you. So what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> so if you are having an awkward encounter with somebody, and maybe it's somebody... So first, I would say decide how important is that relationship to you? Because if the relationship is like, if you're just feeling like, well, I should just give this person my time and attention because it's the right thing to do and it's the nice thing to do, then that's probably not serving your business. If there is an opportunity for business there, then maybe you go and extend yourself in some way. But certain people don't get my attention after a certain period of time. And so I'm never, I hope I'm never outwardly like rude to anybody, but I also don't give people time and attention that just want to like suck time and not respect or honor like how I'm showing up. So one of the things I'll do is if I see them at an event and they approach me, I will just say like, oh, hi, how are you? Great. Yeah. Have a good event. And then I walk away. Like I don't give my time to people who are just like wanting something from me for free, wanting like, I don't know if this happens to you, but I have certain people who will 
just ask me question after question after question and want me to just coach them for free. Uh And I don't do that. And I'm also okay to say, like, I will say right off the bat to people, like, that is a really great question. And that's something that people actually schedule strategy sessions for me. And so if you're interested in scheduling a strategy session, I'd be, I'd be happy to work with you on that. Yeah. And if I fail in any area, it's probably that because I do have so many relationships that when people come to me and, and want help, it's, I I just turn into a coach. I just don't even know what to do with myself. And I know they can't afford me and, you know, and I'm having dinner. So why not have a conversation? (laughs) You know what I mean? I have to get better about that, Nikki. That's my commitment to you. I, I want you to think about that grain of sand when these, because here's the other thing is that people don't value what they don't pay for. Uh-huh. And so as much as like you're showing up from this place of being of service and you know that your stuff is good, you know that you're going to give them something that will matter and they didn't pay you for it. So they are like the chance of them implementing what you offer to them is slim to none because they didn't pay. But here's the thing too, is I can say, go buy my book, listen to the bajillion podcasts I did for free, go read any of the free blogs, go follow me on social media where I give legitimate tips every single day. But nobody wants to do that kind of work. They just want me to do it for them in one conversation. Well, and that is this idea of like, I just had this conversation with a client yesterday. Like you cannot carry somebody else's bags, right? right? Like (laughs) you just can't. And as much as we want to help people, you know, and be of service. And that's why most of us started our business is because we felt a calling in some way, or we, you know, we want to make a difference in the world. But the fact of the matter is, if they're not ready it's okay. It's okay for people to not be ready to follow you on social media, listen to your podcast. And, and you have to be okay with that. Like, I think this is attributed to Buddha, but then I also heard that this is not a true statement, but it's the root of all suffering is attachment. Mm. When you are more attached to somebody getting an outcome from the work that you do and the, the things that you offer to them, that that is an imbalance in the relationship mm-hmm. and you're not doing them or you like, you're not, you're not being good. You're not being a good steward of your business and right. you're not really being that useful and helpful to them because they won't value it and yeah. they're not ready. Like that's why, like when we're ready, I mean, think about you and I don't know what you spend money on, but when you're ready, you will, it's not about the money anymore. It's like, I want this in my life or I want, I don't want this in my life anymore. So I'm going to pay to figure this out. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and I do have one of the things, my friends are like probably sick of hearing me say it because they're around me all the time. And so they hear it all the time. And I say <laughs> it frequently on this show, but I can't care more than you care. That's no that is a big deal for me when making decisions. And, and then also in a sales conversation, if I care more about your problems than you do, I'm probably not a good fit for you because you need somebody way more passive. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they've got to be ready to work with you too. And you don't want to attract business. You said it earlier, you want to immediately attract or repel somebody. And so you want somebody to be like, yes, this is for me or no, that's not for me instantly. Because if you start attracting people and you start selling to people, 
who are not your ideal. And of course, we talk about this in the Velvet Machete brand guide. You want to very clearly identify who you're trying to attract and which problems you're trying to solve. Because let's say you get, you know, dippity doodah Debbie and she's a terrible customer. Well, Debbie's going to tell all of her friends who are just like her, who share her values, who have the same price point that you rock. And now you're going to have dippity doodah Debbie times 10. And that's not yeah. fun either. And now you're caring for 10 people more than they care about their problems. I just keep climbing on the soapbox. I'm sorry, Nikki. This is just, I love inspire it. Me. I love it. This is so, <laughs> I, and I love the way you phrase things and you paint a really good picture too. So I love that. We're next, Nikki and Amber are collaborating on an illustrative business book. <laughs> <laughs> so we have covered so much and, and you could dive even deeper into these strategies. And, and I encourage you to do that because selling doesn't have to feel icky. In fact, it should feel very fluid and natural as if you were doing somebody a favor because you kind of are. And they should feel like, awesome, you're helping me solve problems here. And, and that's good for them too. And, and yay, some cool person is allowing you to share your gift. And so you should appreciate and cherish that and, and genuinely value that customer. So if it's feeling icky, I think it's a mindset or it's a lack of confidence. And of course, on the Bombshell Business Podcast, we're all about creating bold, brave, unwaveringly confident fempreneurs. And Nikki is giving you a five-step formula where you can become confident in your selling process, you actually have a gift for our bombshells today. Is that correct? That is correct. As a thank you for listening and hopefully maybe even talking back. Maybe it's just me, but when I listen to podcasts, I like talk back to the people on them. So <laughs> whatever whatever commentary you had going on, I would love to give you my ebook, which is called Closing the Sale. And so it kind of digs a little bit deeper into that step five. You can get that just by visiting my website. If you go to yoursalesmaven.com slash V as in Victor, M as in Mary, B as in boy, and P as in podcast. So it's really the Velvet Machete branding podcast. You will be able to download that as my gift. Yay! So we're just looking a little into the future here. We are with great anticipation. We are channeling your thought process to celebrating and being so grateful for the Bombshell Business Podcast and its experience, but moving forward towards the Velvet Machete Branding Podcast. So we're going to leave that there in the future. So yoursalesmaven.com forward slash VMBP, Velvet Machete Branding Podcast, acronym for that. And we will have that in the show notes. And of course, when we push it to the Bombshell Business app. And then Nikki, we can find you at yoursalesmaven.com. You're on Facebook. She's on Twitter. We will have all of that in the show notes as well. But before we say adieu, what final piece of advice do you want to leave our bombshells with? The final piece of advice, and I'm going to say, I think this is probably one of the most important pieces is always be willing to invite people to do business with you. Mm. Never be afraid of inviting somebody. And it really is an invitation. This is not a like, buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. It is like, 
is this something you might be interested in? Or is this something that would serve you in some way? That's all it is. It's an invitation. And when you start inviting people to do business with you, you will get to work with more of your ideal clients as a result. I love it. So step one is brand, brand, brand yourself clearly. And step two is leverage that brand and that experience that you want people to believe about you and go invite people to be a part of that. It's, it's really just that simple. We like to boil things down here on this podcast and, and just take all the crazy hullabaloo out and all of the chest beating craziness on the interwebs that's happening and just be like, Hey, you know what? It's, it's about knowing who you are, what you offer and finding some people you can help the end. It's not that hard. Nikki, thank you for your beautiful illustrations, for sharing your heart and your gift and teaching people how to sell authentically. Very much appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit AmberHurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.